This episode of Code Story is sponsored by Ladder. Ladder was founded by LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger to change the way supplements are made. They worked with the top scientists to formulate a line of clean performance products. Unlike other supplements, every batch is tested by a third party to verify the highest standards for quality and safety. We all know what a tremendous athlete LeBron is, and Arnold, no explanation needed. If they back it, you know it's got to be good. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. Right now, that means access to special offers and expert advice from their community. Use code BETTEREVERYDAY, all one word, all caps, for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's BETTEREVERYDAY, all caps, all one word, for 30% off at ladder.sport. I think it's really important to be deliberate about keeping yourself inspired and keeping yourself motivated. You know, you kind of get on yourself for why did I not stick with that? Why didn't I build that? So I think it's it's important to take time daily or weekly to troll through these things that really inspire you and really get you motivated and kind of use that to keep yourself motivated to build your own products. And then using that to build something that you're proud of and something that you really take a craftsman approach to and put the time into to build a quality product. My name is Rob Moore, founder of Floof. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart. And today, how Rob Moore created an API-enabled marketplace, easing the fundamental pains of productifying your SaaS. All this and more on Code Story. A Maryland native, Rob Moore quickly found himself in the UK, studying game theory and behavioral economics. A lover of travel, he has been able to live the digital nomad life and see a number of amazing places. Post-graduation, he started doing data visualization work for several different companies. He noticed the difficulty of going from a core product to a sellable SaaS platform, internalizing dry principles and learning the pains of smaller product value delivery. He built Flume to be the startup as a service tool, enabling small SaaS businesses a way quickly to productize their products. Yeah, so I'll go through kind of the tools that are what I'm using on the tech stack. So on the front end, I'm using Vue.js. I love this. So it's one of those things where at the beginning of starting something, you know you're going to have to make so many decisions around what technology you use. And to some degree, I tried to optimize for making the smallest number of decisions because that's something it can really get old, right? It can wear on you when if you're working on this as like a side project, it's like, I don't want to have to make another decision and do all this research. So I was kind of between Vue and React. And I like React, I've worked a lot with React, but it's one of the best things about it is this open source community around it. And what that also means is that every time you decide to pick a tool for whatever you need, like there's five different options out there. So, you know, choosing between uh, Thunk or Saga. And so I decided to use Vue for this almost to lower the number of decisions that I would have to make in the future. And then on the backend, it's actually all serverless. So I'm using a lot of AWS Lambda and actually using something called AWS AppSync. So um, 
That's a relatively new thing. In some ways, it compares a bit to Google's Firebase, but it's basically a GraphQL wrapper over DynamoDB. So what this does is it provides a, you can use a the CLI interface to actually design your database, and then it will give you a GraphQL endpoint where you can make all your queries and mutations and subscriptions. So the technology is really cool. At the same time, their docs, kind of as AWS does, are not really that well uh, thought out or put together. So it's a lot of like looking through Stack Overflow or GitHub issues. So like the tech is awesome, I love it. But it is, for anyone who's thinking about going down that road, it is a bit of a moving target and that they're still developing and the docs are probably not as well formed out as they're going to be in the future. For authentication, I'm using AWS Cognito, so kind of bought into that AWS uh, scheme there. And um, yeah, so for all the other stuff, um, like payment processing, uh, using Stripe on the, there's actually a really cool tool called Dashbird. Uh, this is for Lambda monitoring, um, recommend checking that out. And so as the MVP took about, I would say somewhere around 300 to 400 hours to build. So this is probably a bit more than the usual MVP, but I kind of, I try to separate, there's a big philosophy around uh, launching as soon as possible and launching something that's almost like cringeworthy is kind of the, the tagline there. <laughs> sure. But, um, I actually took a different approach to this in separating the customer development as in talking to developers and figuring out what their problem was. And then once I had a pretty good mind, pretty good idea of what the problem was, I wanted to actually build something that I was proud of. And kind of my reason behind doing this is that I knew it was going to be something that I was working on from weekend to weekend. And especially with coding projects, I think if you've, everyone's built this spaghetti code, which they never want to see again. And if this was going to be a side project, which I pick up, you know, sometimes I get busy, I, I don't go just a couple of weeks before I pick it up again. I want to go back to something that I'm proud to work on and that I really know is quality code. So it's not like I have to, to stumble through this stuff and try to figure out what I was thinking two weeks ago. So I, I did put a lot of time into the MVP, but at the same time, it was, it was making sure that it was kind of this craftsmanship approach and uh, building something that was quality and building something that was meant to scale later on. That's interesting. So that's very cool. You, it's important to create it to where you want to come back to it and it's easy to come back to it when you can, especially if it's a side project. I think that's a, a unique view that you took on it, but one that I can certainly appreciate as a coder. Yeah, I mean, there definitely is this value in launching as soon as possible, to, but that ultimately is to get customer feedback and to figure out, make sure that you're solving their problem. So I think if you can do that separately and have a good idea of what you need to build and what your solution is, I think, especially like you said, if it's, if it's one of these things you're only going to be coming back to on the weekends, it's important the whole time to build something that you enjoy working on. Otherwise, you're not going to work on it. I mean, I've gone down that other road where I have so many kind of these side projects laying in a graveyard because you get tired of working on it and you don't want to go back to it. So uh, just making sure the whole time that it's something you're, you're it, that's fun to go back to. Right, right on. What decisions and trade-offs did you make in the short term while you were building it? You kind of touched on some, but, but go a little more on that. What decisions, trade-offs did you have to make in the short term and, and how did you kind of cope with those decisions? My general philosophy when I'm making these decisions early on is that I'm okay doing something that's that's kind of a, not a shortcut, but something that's quicker to do as long as I don't pin myself in a corner. So what I try to do is figure out what the best long-term solution is going to be and then build a 
not a less complete solution that doesn't put me in a place where oh this is gonna this is gonna mess me up later. So, uh, for instance, like the first uh, version of the API that I put out, making sure that the data structure is it's not going to be complete. You know, I don't know everything that I need to put in that data structure yet, but I want to make sure that it's it's nested. You know, deep enough that I can add metadata or whatever it may be later on. So uh, things like that. So. For, I guess, a concrete example, when somebody is fulfilling an order, so let's get back to this background removal uh, product. So when somebody is somebody places that order and that order is sent to the the seller, the uh, the guy that wrote the machine learning algorithm, and while that order is being fulfilled, there is a uh, there's a service that will ping an endpoint of his to see say, hey, has this been finished yet? And if it's been finished, send me back the result. So. The best way to do this within the serverless world where there's you don't have these persistent connections is using something called a step function, which is say, it'll basically pause and it'll say, hey, in 10 seconds, run this again, kind of like a cron job. But since that was some, it was technology that I wasn't familiar with and I, I wasn't, it probably wasn't the best use of my time to, to figure out step functions. Um, what I actually ended up doing was just running a uh, lambda function for 10 seconds, which obviously doesn't make sense for cost and it doesn't make sense for the most efficient way to do this. But it was a solution which worked and it was something that didn't pin me in the corner. So later on, I can go back and implement the step functions. And for the meantime, it's just going to be a bit more expensive for the serverless costs. And I'm okay with that. Gotcha. Thanks for walking through that. How long has Flume been out in the wild? The MVP was launched, it's about three months ago. So yeah, it was in July of 2019 it launched. Gotcha. So it's pretty early, but tell me how, even in those three months, how has the product progressed or matured? How, what have you seen having it be out in the wild? So what's really cool about once you put something out in the wild is that you don't need to explain what it is to people. So it's kind of this, I went very quickly went from like a homepage, which was like an about page that described what Flume does to instead of that, hey, look, here's the marketplace with all these different products. And now you know what it does, basically. So what that allowed us to do is get a lot of feedback very quickly. So basically what's happened since is that I've gotten a lot of interest from developers and been able to talk with the seller side and getting, I guess, some concrete changes on the platform. Uh, we launched a new homepage. Uh, which better showed the the products on the market. So I kind of took this, there was very little sales copy on the page to start with. And I kind of decided there actually needs to be more sales copy. And this is unnatural for somebody who doesn't come from a marketing background, but basically there need to be more words to talk buyers into actually buying products. So this is something that's been done to kind of increase conversion rate from lurkers to people who are actually buying things. And then on the, the seller side, we're working on adding subscriptions and also some additional seller analytics. So like how well your product is selling day to day, but also doing things like A-B testing. So kind of thing, tools to optimize your product and your product page. How are you building your roadmap right now? Getting feedback from sellers, developers, buyers, things like that. How, how are you prioritizing what you're gonna build next? So my general philosophy behind this is uh, since it's a marketplace where people build products, they list products, and then they can start selling them. Uh, my main goal is to provide the developer tools. So provide tools for developers to go from product to go from their idea to product, and then kind of let the rest fall into place, right? So whether developers want to use this as kind of like an MVP testing tool or like an alpha channel where they say, hey, we've got this new product, see if, see if you guys like it. 
or whether they want to use it for uh, maybe existing SaaS companies have some microservice that they use internally and they want to monetize it. So I kind of want to leave that up to just to see where the market goes with that. I don't want to make any any decisions to lock that down um, in any way. So my main goals with the product roadmap are providing developer tools to make it easier for them to get their tool on the market. And then from there, we'll see where the market goes in terms of uh, not only where people are using it in their development cycle, but also what kind of things are on there. So right now it's it's more of like a, there's a suite of social media tools. Uh, we'll see, maybe it goes down more of the ML, data analytics, data visualization route, or uh, maybe something that I haven't thought of. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes, but in terms of the roadmap for now, just letting it dictate itself in terms of what people are using it for. This episode of Code Story is sponsored by Tresta. Tresta is a mobile app that lets you do business calling and texting from anywhere. With Tresta, you can set up your business phone number, download the app, and start calling and texting unlimited right away. Tresta is the best business phone app on the market. Whether you're a founder or freelancer starting your business, or you're already established. Growing your network and your business is all about communication. You've got to be available no matter where you are. Tresta offers the call management features that empower you to communicate smarter and more efficiently, like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more. And you don't need any special equipment, just the smartphone you're already using. Tresta is easy to configure, so you can set everything up yourself, all online. It's just $15 per user per month, with no contract. So start your free 30-day trial today at tresta.com slash codestory. That's www.tresta.com slash codestory, all one word. So right now, are you building and running this solo? I am working with one other person. His name is Jeffrey G. He's doing a PhD at Harvard at the time, so it's kind of a part-time thing. He's he's an absolute ace developer. Went to undergrad together at Maryland. So yeah, he's, he's supposed to finish up his PhD this year. We'll see how that goes. But he's working on a lot of the platform features. So like things like subscriptions and analytics. He's kind of working on that side of things while I work on more seller integration. So going out and talking to sellers and getting them existing SaaS companies to list their product on the market. Gotcha. Cool. So at some point, you know, you'll scale and and you'll need to build out your team. Tell me what you look for in people you work with. How do you pick the winning horses? This is an interesting one. So I think there's a point where you need to kind of build a team which has complementary enough skills to meet all satisfy all the requirements but after that i think it's for me once that's met i really optimize for personality and uh having i mean it's cliche but the company culture in terms of building something that we're really proud of so uh, with jeffrey and i it's this kind of craftsmanship approach that i talked about earlier he's somebody that will on Sundays, watch a lot of like woodworking videos or just like this very craftsman approach to building the product and building something that you're proud of. So I think that's been really important for Jeff and I as we've been working on this is just the whole time building something that we're, we're proud to share on social media and talk to developers about. So in terms of motivation and company culture, I would, I would rank that number one in terms of looking for people who I want to work with and build a team with. Very cool. I love that. I love the craftsman comment there and the how, how you said Jeffrey is his name? Yeah, Jeffrey. Yeah, so he does the woodworking and 
or, or watches the video on the on the woodworking. But you know, it's interesting to hear other developers digging into other trades to also sharpen their development approach. I think that's uh, highly valuable. Yeah. So you've got you know this running on AWS Lambda. It's uh, pretty much serverless. How are you going to scale that in the future? If there's limitations in that, how how do you plan to move on past it? So the really nice thing about serverless is that it's going to scale naturally, right? So uh, right now the stack is on the back end of serverless, which you pretty much set up and you don't have to worry about. So it's one of those things where uh, you have this code that's living in the cloud and whenever it needs to run, so whenever somebody makes a request and needs to run, if there's not an instance of it running, or there needs to be more instances of it running, AWS Lambda will spin up more instances. So in that sense, it's very nice that it scales. One of the other things, kind of the thing you have to worry about with serverless development is not the infrastructure, but actually the development environment. So coordinating these development environments in terms of a bigger team working on it. And so that's something that's not, it's not handled super well uh, right now. I'd say there's not a lot of tools out there for handling it, but as they, as a two-person team, it's kind of, each person has their their development environment, which is like this the code living in the cloud. But as teams as the team grows, it's definitely something that it's going to be a concern. And I can't give you a good answer now as to how that's going to be solved. But hopefully, there are more tools out there in the near future for tackling that problem. And then on the front end, it's view deployed to. I'm using Netlif, Netlify to deploy it, so uh, that's not really a concern in terms of scaling. It's just a static app. Okay, gotcha. Good deal. Well, tell me what you're most proud of within building Flume. Uh, so a couple of weeks after I launched the MVP, um, I was kind of trolling through Instagram and I saw a post from uh, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk, and it was a tweet, but instead of screenshotting the tweet, it was actually like a video of it being typed out. So it looked like it was being typed out. So it was, I saw this on a Saturday and I said, you know what, that's really cool. It kind of catches your eye. You, you stop and you look at it more than you would if it was a screenshot, I think. So I wonder if I can build this, right? So I kind of sat down and I said, okay, this is the perfect use case for Flume, this project size and being able to launch it very quickly. So I built it something using Node and AWS Lambda where it would take a the URL of a tweet, um, kind of parse out the, the ID of that tweet, would use the Twitter URL to go fetch the tweet. And then I would use Node Canvas to actually draw the tweet on basically letter by letter. And then I used FFmpeg to stitch it all together and to make a video of this. And then after this was done, I just deployed it to AWS Lambda, got the endpoint, and then was able to plug it into Flume and literally launch this product the same day. So for me, that was very cool to see this, this problem that I've run into time and time again where I'm inspired to build something and I build it. But this time I was actually able to launch it and I got orders that same day. So it was awesome to see this use case of Flume play out, you know, right after the MVP was launched and to say, hey, this actually does solve the exact problem that I was hoping to solve. That's amazing. That's really rewarding. What was a, a mistake you made and how did you respond to it? So it's still early on in terms of Flume development, uh, but what I would say is I would treat the user authentication differently and add some sort of social login. So right now it's uh, when users want to sign up, they have to make a username, password, and then I actually get them to confirm their email right there. So it's very, it's kind of a clunky process in terms of, it takes a lot of time, you've got to go to your email, plug in the confirmation code. So 
It was actually the morning that I was doing the authentication bit. I saw something on Hacker News. It was against social logins. It's basically the idea was why would you give Google more information about who's using your apps? And I kind of I kind of bought into that for whatever reason. So when I did that, I didn't add Google logins. So I mean that's something that can be fixed. Luckily, it's easy enough to fix. But it's definitely something when you look at the analytics and you see, okay, a lot of people pop up this sign up page and they don't actually sign up. So I think once we add a Google sign in or Facebook, I think hopefully we'll see those conversions bump up. Gotcha, gotcha. That's interesting. What what are you using for analytics? Uh, so I use um, Google Analytics right now, and so I use Intercom for some of the other stuff. Both great tools. What does the future look like for Flume? Right now, I am doing a program in London. It's called Entrepreneur First. So this is it's an accelerator program, but it's more of a talent investor. So their idea is, hey, we're going to take all these people and put them in the same place and kind of see what ideas come up. So some people go in there with ideas or products, but some people just go in there like recent grads looking to kind of go into the startup world. So this program runs for three months. So I'm going to do that, and then. After that, it's just a matter of kind of seeing where it goes with that. So there's nothing concrete in terms of location or team yet, but、uh, we've kind of talked about the product development road. But first up, it's just a matter of getting more products on the market and talking with developers and seeing what tools I can provide that to them to you know make it easier to productize their tools. Where are you looking to find these developers, the, these、uh, SaaS builders, and?、Um... How are you getting them on the platform right now? So there's two awesome communities which are match up basically perfectly for the people that I'm looking for:、uh, Product Hunt and Indie Hackers. And I think particularly Indie Hackers, it's you know these people who on the weekends are building things that provide real value. So I love talking with these people and seeing what they're building. I get, I mean, it's just like talking to them. I get, I end up getting sidetracked and talking to them for. Hours、uh, about what they're building, just because it's interesting to me.、Um, so I love being kind of digging into this community and actually being able to pro- provide these people value. So by the end of the year, I'm looking to. Right now, I work with all the developers individually who want to、uh, list their product, but I would love for it to be open in terms of being able to go and sign up yourself and then actually like do all this yourself without needing me to talk with you and intervene, basically. So kind of streamline that process. Gotcha. I was curious if you were tapped into the indie hackers world. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely love it. Name an architect or CTO or tech person or any person you look up to, and tell me why. So I already mentioned her, but Nadi Bremer, who does data visualization work, she's also takes this approach to a something that's been around for a long time with data visualization, and she does really creative stuff with it. So it's really interesting to see what she makes. She clearly puts a lot of thought into. Design and how people are going to interact with it, and I think it's it's especially interesting because it is this data visualization, which has been for a long time was just pinned down to you know Excel bar charts, and taking that long-standing thing and saying, okay, what can we do with this? The other person I'll mention is Jeff Cobb, who I worked with.、Um, he was the VP of product at the Seattle startup I worked at called Live Stories, and he was a technical product manager, and I just I learned a ton from him in terms of. How to build products and how to validate your problem and how to actually go week to week with you know building on top of each other with sprints or agile or whatever you want to use, but、um, just taking a very systematic approach to that and learned a ton from him. Super cool. If you could go back to the beginning and you're building Flume, what would you do differently? So 
I'm really happy with Vue. What I would say is that the verdict is still out on AWS AppSync. So this is something, as I mentioned, it's, it's really cool tech, but just in terms of getting it up and running, it's one of those things where once you get it up and running, it works great, but actually getting it up and running, it's involves a lot of digging through documentation. So uh, we'll see how this plays out. I'm hoping the documentation kind of comes with age, but I would say the verdict is still out in terms of whether or not I would use that if I started again. Gotcha. So picture this, you're, you're on a plane, you're sitting next to someone, they're just getting started in college um, or just getting started uh, earlier than that, starting to build their SaaS product, their technical creation. What advice would you give them? I think it's really important to be deliberate about keeping yourself inspired and keeping yourself motivated. You know, you kind of get on yourself for why did I not stick with that? Why didn't I build that? So I think it's, it's important to take time daily or weekly to troll through these things that really inspire you and really get you motivated and kind of use that to keep yourself motivated to build your own products. And then uh, I've mentioned it a couple times, but then using that to build something that you're proud of and something that you really take a craftsman approach to and put the time into to build a quality product. Very cool. Well, Rob, thanks for being on Code Story. Thanks for being on the show today. I really appreciate you telling the creation story of Flume. Thanks so much, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Season two episodes are co-produced and edited by Bradley Denham. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. A quick word from our friends at Scraping Bee. Tired of getting blocked while scraping the web? Scraping Bee is a simple web scraping API that handles headless browsers and rotates proxies for you so you can get the HTML from any page with a simple API call. Scraping Bee handles the hard parts of web scraping so you can focus on extracting the data you need. Use the coupon CODESTORY, all one word, all caps, to get 20% off the first three months on any subscription. That's CODESTORY, all one word, all caps, to get 20% off. Check the show notes for a direct link to the tool.